Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Well, good morning. My name is Sean Spolstra, and I give you greetings from Grace Fellowship Church in Pickerington, Ohio. I am the care pastor there, and it's one of your sister churches, actually. And just kind of a neat thing to know this, uh, we're part of a fellowship of churches all across here in Ohio and all throughout the United States and even a little bit in Canada and even across culturally in Africa and lots of different places in the world. But there's just something very special about family. So, Linnea, thank you so much for sharing your story. I just That is a neat thing to do. I can, you and I have had so much history over the last number of years. I really appreciate the transparency that you just had in leading us. Rather than just sort of professionally coming up here and doing your thing, really just being a, a real person with us and then sharing us in some really incredibly powerful songs. I, I, that, that just really blessed me. Uh, I want you to know, based on this idea of family, technically, and again, I think many of you don't know who I am, but technically, I am the great-grandfather of Contrast Church. <laughs> it, it, uh, it actually makes me feel very old to say that. Uh, I'm, going to tell you, I'm going to tell you a little story today, just so you have some context. Uh, the intro to my message today is going to be a little bit longer than what I might normally do, but the reason why, and I think you'll catch it once we get into the message, specifically with what was just read, uh, 14 years ago, I had the privilege of planting a church in Dublin, Ohio. I had been on staff in a church in Powell for 10 years as a family pastor, and then in 2008, I was sent to plant a church, and there's a picture of my family. We did this together. That is my wife there in the middle in the red shorts, Melissa. I'm actually technically Melissa Spolster's husband. She's not my wife. She is the, and I don't say this lightly, she's the greater of the two of us. Uh, then there's our son, Zach. He's 25. He's down in Texas. And uh, then I have my twins kind of bookending there. There's Abby and Sarah, uh, both finishing up their senior year this year in college, one from Moody Bible Institute, the other one at UC taking nursing. And then my youngest daughter there beside me is Rachel. She's down in Grand Canyon University, and uh, she's in her freshman year. So we're empty nesters, and uh, we planted a church together when they were little children. 14 years ago, they were just kids. And I had this privilege of, of having this launch team and this group of people to plant a church with. And it's interesting that we even use this word plant. We call them church plants. And you think about a plant... You think about something that's almost like a sapling, something that's tender and small and needs to be cared for, and you, you, you gently put it into the ground. You dig a little hole, you put it there, and you've hopefully treated it kindly, and then you begin to let this thing grow. You plant it, and it grows. We had this small little group of people, and then we went into a school, and we started to preach and teach and love our community. But we believed and had the DNA within ourselves to be a church that didn't just plant and then that's all we did. We wanted to be a church that planted churches that plant churches. That's what our goal was. That was what our dream was. So in the 10 years that I was the church pastor and planter of Encounter Church in Dublin, three and a half years in, I helped plant a church called Movement Church, which I bet a lot of you know of. Mark and Kristen Artrip, yeah, led that. 
Eichen has been there and served there for years. And then Mark, our trip, and his wife, Kristen, with Melissa and I helped plant a church called Three Creeks Church in Gehanna. And that happened a number of years later and got the privilege of sowing into those leadership there and being one of their elders for a number of years and seeing that come to fruition. And then Mark and Joel then found this guy named Trey and his wife, Sarah, and they planted a church called Contrast Church. Amazingly, during a thing called COVID, when it's like the worst time to think of planting a church when everything is shut down. And so I come to you today, not quite as tired as I can, because uh, apparently he's very tired. I woke up at 7.30 this morning, not 4. But it's just a beautiful thing to look back on and to say, wow, God has done some amazing things through little things. Things that started off fledgling-like. And then to see the domino effect of what has happened from that, it's a beautiful thing. I don't call it my legacy. I call it what God has done through very broken people. You see, I believe that churches, and whether it's in Pickerington at Grace Fellowship or whether it's here, church is for people who are broken. It's a hospital for broken people. It's not a cruise ship or a country club for luxury goers. This is a space that's safe for broken people. And I love the contrast as being led similarly to Three Creeks, to movement, to encounter. And we are standing, you are standing on the shoulders of many other people as I was when I began this journey 14 years ago of planting churches. And I'm praying for and dream of the church that contrast that you yourself will then own and send out and plant. And I may be sitting, I may be standing here in front of a group of people, and I don't even know this, but there may be church planters, church plant couples that are going to be doing the next one. But that's kind of the vision and the dream that I would want to plant and put before you as we dive into today's message. So a little bit about me. I've already said this, that I'm old, right? I'm standing before you as a 51-year-old. I'm looking out and I'm going, I think there's maybe four people in the room today that are around my age. <laughs> and actually, it was really a cool reunion to look at some of you know that I've known from real life, from crew at OSU, and then those other churches that have been involved. But I'm so old that I was alive before this thing that we call the internet. And, and as I was studying for today's message, uh, I literally was going, you know, I wonder how this thing, how this happens. Like as a kid, I wondered, how do things, how do things come to be? Like how, do, how are things made, right? And before the internet, I couldn't just Google things. So this is literally what my mother had bought me. 1979 World Book Encyclopedia. I mean, A to Z, A to Z, information as current as 1979, right? And I had it on my dresser, and I can look at anything I thought about. So then I'm talking to my son. How many, anyone here 25? Yeah, we got some 25-year-olds. My son is 25. I'm like, Zach, other than like just going to Google or whatever, what do you do? What do you do to find out how things work or how things are made? And he goes, oh, Dad, I listened to this podcast, and it's called Stuff You Should Know. I'm like, Really? Okay, that's kind of cool. He goes, yeah, I, I wonder about stuff all the time, Dad. And so I go this, and here's a couple things that my son, I go, well, what are some of the top things that you've wondered about? And he goes, you know, the origin of the at symbol, something that's really kind of deep. And, you know, did you know there was a Star Wars commercial? I mean, Christmas special? I was alive when that happened. Uh, how amnesia works? I can't remember. I don't know. And then, <laughs> did you know that the Nazis in 1942 had a failed attempt of coming onto the shores of Florida? I, I'm, I didn't even know that. My son taught me something. So 
But I wonder for us, as we look at this passage today, I thought, how does this all work? And I'm serious, it really kind of made me think, how does this work? We, we're going to look at this passage, we're going to get to it in just a moment. In fact, go ahead and do this. Go ahead and begin to turn on or turn to your Bibles in Matthew chapter 13. I kind of want you to see it and, and for yourselves, and I'm going to reread it, and I appreciate the gal that read it for us this morning. But as you're turning there, just a little bit of context. I, I did have an opportunity to listen to... And is it, is it not amazing that these two names are within the same church plant circles and they're the only two people I know named this way? I listened to Trigg's message from last week and Trey's message from the week before. They're the only two people with names like that that I know, and they preach back-to-back weeks. So hopefully I won't confuse it. I do know them both. But I listened to Trigg's message last week, and then Trey said some things two weeks ago that I'm going to kind of repeat to you if you weren't here. But it's interesting. Jesus never taught crowds talk to the crowds, never talk to the crowds without using parables, without using story, without using illustrations. And, and, and as we read it today, the word parable is used, but that's basically what a parable is, a story or an illustration that has a deeper meaning. Kind of on the surface, you might think something, but there's always some sort of a, a deeper teaching that comes out of that. And so I know this because Matthew chapter 13, 34 says this. Jesus spoke all these things in parables to the crowds. He did not speak to them without a parable. So I, I, it wasn't my words. It's literally what the Bible tells us in this same chapter. Now, chapter 13 is a really kind of neat chapter within the book of Matthew. There are about 23 parables in the whole gospel of Matthew, seven of which are in this chapter alone. And I thought what was interesting, since you've been in this chapter, and it sounds like you've been in Matthew for quite a long time, and you're still going to be for a while, I think that's great. There's no apology. This is awesome. God's word is amazing. In fact, when I started Encounter Church in 2000, our church, first church service was, I think, February the 1st, 2009, and Matthew was the first book we used, actually, and we taught through it in our, in our small groups and as well as we did in, in our public preaching. But the thing is, there's seven parables in this chapter, but Jesus only explains two of them. Now, I don't know if it's because the other ones are just so obvious or, or what? In fact, as I look at that, I think, Jesus, why, why don't you tell people more clearly what you're talking about? In fact, I, I honestly, in my humanness, I go, Jesus, you could have a much better marketing plan if you were much clearer with the things that you say to lots and lots of people. Like, why, Jesus? And I don't know, maybe by show of hands, how many of you have been watching The Chosen? I've been loving watching The Chosen. If you watch The Chosen, you'll see the tension with Peter and some of the other disciples of like, we got to get this message out there. we got to tell people. You know, we got to help Jesus and come alongside him, right? And they kind of thought all that about themselves. But Jesus answers this question of why. Why he specifically doesn't tell the crowd everything he chooses to tell the concentric circle of his disciples. Listen to this. This is Matthew chapter 13, and it's uh, 11 to 13. I love this pipe, by the way, that's in the way. Maybe I'll look at this side. That's good. <laughs> Let's do that, because I keep having to lean in. Jesus says to his disciples, kind of as an aside, he replied, because they asked him, why aren't we telling everyone everything, kind of a thing? You have been given the opportunity to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but they have not. Now, there's some intentionality on Jesus' part. And even as I read these next words, it's kind of even difficult to kind of pull out of it like what do you mean Jesus look what he says as he goes further for whatever has as for, for whoever has been given more 
Oh, sorry. For whoever has will be given more and will have abundance, an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And then he goes on. For this reason, I speak to them in parables. Although they see, they do not see. Although they hear, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Now, there's something I know about Jesus as we watch his ministry. Jesus, fully God, fully man, never in a rush. Now, people had lots of plans and motives and reasons to be around him, and many honestly were selfish. You think by the time in his ministry he gets to the feeding of 5,000, there's, and by the way, that was 5,000 men. It didn't include wives and children, and they had big families. I mean, there was potentially tens of thousands of people at the feeding of what we call the 5,000. But they were coming, some of them, for a meal. They were coming to see what they might have thought was just a magician doing another trick. Sometimes I think the motives of the crowd were off kilter, were not pure. And I think for Jesus, those who really choose to sort of step in and literally lean in and learn more, then he's very willing to let them know more. But you've got this peripheral that are like, yeah, they see, but they don't really see. Yeah, they hear, they're not really listening. So my appeal to you and I is that we lean in and we listen to Jesus' words and say, okay, what can, we, what can we take? What can we learn from this? So with all that said, let's jump back in to today's passage. Thank you again for reading it already, but we're going to read it again ourselves here. Matthew chapter 13, 31, 32, and 33. Isn't it amazing? Two parables are contained in just three verses. It's, it's amazing how compact some of this can be, and yet we'll sort of unpack some of it. He gave them another parable, another story, another illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. Now, if you don't know what a mustard seed looks like or how big it is, take a peek at this. Oh, I'll finish the passage. Now you can go to the page. That's good. Yep. I mean, that's, that's a pointer finger. That's a tiny seed. Now, there may be smaller seeds, but as far as in that agrarian culture back then, that's about the smallest seed that they had. And it can turn into something this large, right? Something, what you're going to hear about as I finish out the passage, a full-blown tree. Look how Jesus describes it as we go back to the passage. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest garden plant and becomes a tree so that the wild birds come and nest in its branches. Wow. Okay, so you hear that, and you go, okay, on the surface, it sounds like something really small, kind of something that you plant into the ground, you cover with dirt, right? It grows really big. Something small gets really big, right? I mean, that's kind of the obvious. Then maybe, I don't know, maybe for some of us, we're maybe grew up on a farm like I did a little bit, and we think, okay, maybe some of the natural forces come to mind, the sunlight and the rain and the good soil, and then all of a sudden, you've got these great things that are guiding the growth of this plant. And okay, that's a neat illustration, Jesus. But as I said, I kind of wanted to know how this worked. I wanted to go beyond just the surface. I wanted to dig deeper to kind of understand. And so I went to a couple commentaries, and I thought this was really interesting. This is the expositor's commentary, and the things I just said are, are not untrue. I think they're the surface things, but then you go a little bit deeper, and this is what the Gabaline commentary says. He says, instead of what I just said, the surface stuff, 
Instead, the point is the organic unity of small beginning and mature end. So it's not just small to big. It's small to mature end. No pious Jew doubted that the kingdom would come and that it would be vast and glorious. What Jesus teaching, what Jesus, sorry, what Jesus is teaching goes beyond that. He is saying that there is a basic connection between the small beginnings taking place under his ministry and the kingdom in its future glory. Though the initial appearance of the kingdom may seem inconsequential, the tiny seeds lead to a mature plant. Now, I'm going to say it again a little bit later, but I'm going to say it right now. This is exactly how I look at you. You may, and maybe some of you have even felt the weight of this, as I did 14 years ago. We're just like a couple families. I mean, we're renting out a school. I mean, is, is anyone going to even come? Are they even going to want to hear are they going to be affected by the things that we're doing to try to love and bless them? And we want to be generous with our, our culture and what we're doing locally and, and, and then someday globally. But there's a temptation, I think, sometimes when you have small beginnings to feel like it's just inconsequential. It's like it's a vapor. It could, it could disappear at any moment. One thing goes wrong, and this whole thing is going to fall apart. That's what sometimes small beginnings may feel like. But in Jesus' mind, as he this, gives this parable, this mustard seed to this mature tree, there's a lot that happens in the process. And as we connect to him, I think that's where the greater growth and the greater maturity comes. It's not just throwing a band together and getting a room set up. And, and, and you know, there's so much more to it than that. So this passage, I think, just does a good job of, of drawing us to this idea of, okay, Small beginnings are good. We don't have to be big. We don't have to be flashy. And, and the thing that caught my attention, too, about seeds, I mean, we're talking about a single seed. And I showed you. Go ahead back to that picture of the tree. Go ahead to the picture of the tree, yeah. So, like, that one seed grew that one tree. But that tree is a tree full of seeds that each in themselves have the potential to grow a tree. I mean, if you think about the domino effect of that and you relate it to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus talked about all the time, I mean, there's the potential for exponential growth. I mean, a single seed can grow a tree and a tree can grow seeds. And then literally you've got an entire forest coming from one single seed. And I wonder if that's what Jesus meant as we jump to the book of John. Is that what Jesus was thinking about when he thought about himself and he was predicting his death when he said to his disciples, Jesus replied, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, which they did not understand, by the way, at the time. The truth is, a kernel of wheat, so we've gone from mustard seed to wheat, but it's still a seed. The, the truth is, a kernel of wheat must be planted in the soil unless it dies, it will be alone. A single seed. If it doesn't die, it's still just a single seed. But its death will produce many new kernels. A plentiful harvest of new lives. And then look what he says next. Those who love their life in this world, contrast, church, will lose it. Those who despise their life in this world will keep it for eternal life, contrast, church. 
all those who want to be my disciples must come and follow me because my servants must be where I am. And if they follow me, the Father will honor them. Wow. I mean, that's, that's some great teaching. And this is Jesus speaking about himself. He's predicting his own death. It's, it's, if, I don't know when the last time you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. But like Jesus talks about his future death all the time. And it's like the guys just didn't get it. He had men and he had women around him. And they didn't fully understand. But Jesus is like, listen, my death is going to cause a chain reaction. It's an event that we actually sang about today. Right? I mean, we, talk, we sang today about him being buried in the grave. But then the hope that comes out of his coming back to life again. Conquering death. Ascending into heaven. Sitting at the right hand of God where he actually is right now watching us today. I mean, this is this conquering King Jesus that we have. But it came with just a single seed in the ground. Jesus is that seed. And, and we look at that and we say, wow, there was this incredible growth. And Jesus, your story's amazing. But then we listen to Linnea's story, and, and you have your stories. And it's like, Jesus, you're amazing because you choose to work through broken people like us. And as we look at the disciples or we look into the Old Testament or other places, we see this idea that God loves the day of new beginnings. God loves starting things new, this, this beautiful thing about starting something, like I said before, like a sapling and seeing it come to mature growth. A, a verse came to mind, and I was part of a church planting culture and a group, and this was one of their main verses that they had in Isaiah that talked about this idea of newness and what it would be like for churches. This is what it says in Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, God says, I am doing a new thing. I mean, if contrast church isn't a new thing, I don't know what is, right? I mean, yes, you're, you're getting there, you're growing, but you're still very new. And it says, now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? And then he says, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And what I would want to say to you as Contrast Church is that you can be people who help people make a way out of the wilderness of this culture, of this broken world. Contrast Church, you as individuals and you as a corporate group can be people that help get people from darkness into light. And this little fledgling thing, this thing that seems almost inconsequential, this birth, this new thing that you've started can begin to sprout and grow. And you already have. I don't mean to insult you like you haven't already. You're, beginning, you're certainly growing. It's, it's a beautiful thing. But as you, the domino effect of you letting other people know about who Jesus is and you blessing those people maybe in the buildings around here and then you maybe begin to start thinking about what you're going to do globally and kind of pinpoint areas that, hey, these are our core values and, and this is how and who we're going to love. And then you're going to be rivers in a desert. I love the illustration of what church plants can be around a city. It's one of the things often that actually Mark Artrip and Joel and I and Trey have talked about is this concept of churches being, if you, if you think about Columbus and 270, churches being like little pools of water, bringing refreshment. 
And it's interesting, in, in some of these enormous farms that are in like Australia or, or some of these other places, there's a water pool that's either naturally there or planned to be there, and animals come to it to find refreshment. In our minds as church planters, that's what we sort of thought about with churches, is that churches would be like these oasises. Is that a word? I didn't practice that. Oasises, multiple oasis but in a desert area where tired and weary people could come. Contrast church, you can be an oasis for tired and weary people. People who are fed up with the corporate feel, the vibe, the, the fakeness of our culture. You can be a space that's safe and a place that's real for the broken, helping them leave the wilderness and be a river in a desert. That would be one of the dreams that I have for you. So here's a couple things that I just kind of want to say in way of application for, for you and for I, and kind of going back to the, uh, to the original illustration of, of stuff you should know. Stuff you should know, contrast church, before Jesus comes back, what I would want to say to you based off of these passages. And you know what I just realized? We didn't read Matthew chapter 13, 33 about the flower. The man planted the seed in the in the, in, the, in the field, let's get to Matthew chapter 13, 33 first. This is the woman who, uh, who, 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 has, who has the bread. So he told them another parable. Remember, this is just one verse. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed three measures of flour until all the dough had risen. So I got a little bit ahead of myself, but it's worth coming back to this one. Because even though it's very similar in some ways, as far as there's, there's, there's like something that's kind of small... In fact, my wife and I recently bought a bread maker. Anyone here have a bread maker? Okay, great. It's because I'm so old and I've got all these resources and I just need one more appliance on my, on my counter. <clears throat> okay. When you make bread, I know we buy it at stores, but we've begun to bake it. I actually was considering making bread for all of you today, but it would have stressed me out to make that much bread. But if you compare the amount of flour to the amount of yeast that goes into baking a loaf of bread, you might be astounded. I know what I do. I end up putting like two cups of flour into the bread maker, and it's one teaspoon of yeast. In this particular parable, as I researched it, she says, it says that there's three measures. This is actually almost a hundred, or sorry, it's almost 50 pounds of flour. But the point of this story, not just like the mustard seed, which is small, that grows into not just size, but maturity, the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus has been teaching in this whole chapter, is that the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. And the thing that yeast does in a loaf is that it permeates all of it. It, in a sense, in a good way, overtakes all of the flour. This little, what seems insignificant amount of yeast begins to ferment. And, and by the way, most often in the Bible, yeast is used as a negative illustration. As you read through the Bible, you'll be like, the yeast of the Pharisees, and it's like, bad. In this particular illustration, yeast is a very good thing because it's casting a vision for us to realize, hey, even just a little bit can permeate the whole entire loaf. I think that's another encouragement for us as I back up to what I was saying before. This backs that up even more. Just even a little bit of your love in this culture can be a thing that begins to permeate through it. And people will begin to take notice as you show love 
and kindness and generosity and forgiveness in this very broken culture. So now I'll go to what I was at just a moment ago and give you some sort of application for us as individuals, for you as couples or families, and then for you collectively as a church. And so as individuals, I would just cast a vision for you to do all that you can do for an audience of one. If you, as an individual young person, or moms and dads that are in the room, might even be a grandparent here, I don't know. But if you, as an individual person, as a follower of Jesus Christ, choose to do what you do in the workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood, in the grocery store, the place that you work out, if you're doing all those things for an audience of one, then you will end up bringing blessing to all those around you. Your employer will think you're amazing if you're doing it for God and not for him, a broken or her, a broken person that you don't really like personality-wise because you're doing it for God and not for him. And that will bring blessing into the company. Same thing with your home. Same thing wherever you find yourself. That's as an individual. But then as families, if you're here and you're married, you're a family, you begin to start having children, right? And then all of a sudden, what do we do? Have intentional spiritual rhythms as you raise your children to love and fear the Lord. Now, it says children, but again, just to you even as a couple. Now, Linnea talked about some of the spiritual rhythms she wanted to see happening in her life. She wants to read her Bible and get to the point, maybe through reading and prayer, that that actually gets to the same point or even supersedes her screen time. Wow, was that a little convicting to me. The fact that she wants to fast one or two times a week. I mean, fasting has great physical reasons to do it for our bodies humanly speaking, in the flesh. But there's a spiritual element to that that Jesus talks about also in the book of Matthew, by the way. And he doesn't say if you pray, uh, pray or if you fast. He says when you do those things. So it's kind of an assumed. So cheers to you for doing it. And that's another thing just as kind of an aside. That's another spiritual rhythm that you can have rolled into your life. My wife and I this year as well decided to fast once a week for the whole year as a way to honor the Lord. And this idea of submission and sacrifice, and, as you, and again, if you have children, you're leading these things for yourselves as a couple, but as you begin to have kids, they need to see you taking them to church, see you praying, see you reading the Bible, and just as you live those things before them, they begin to catch these things, and then eventually, someday, will own those things in their own life, like so many of you have at the stage of life you find yourself. And then lastly, here, as a church, bring blessing into the spaces you find yourselves. I've talked quite a bit about that, so I won't go too much further. But again, this idea of being an oasis in a desert, something that will bring refreshment to people. And it's not just money, but it could be. Your time is so valuable. I don't know about you, but when people give me their time, I thank them. Because time is really, in our culture, it's a commodity. right? Don't waste my time. I mean, we talk about wasted work hours or time hours that person had us into that meeting there's 12 of us and we were there for an hour we could have done that in 15 minutes how many wasted like that's how our culture thinks don't waste people's time but give them your time and you will bless them and then your gifts and talents but whatever you can do to be a blessing so as an individual as a couple or a family and then as a church these are the things that you can do. And again, it's like the mustard seed to the mature plant. As you're doing those things in your own lives, you will see growth come sometimes in numeric numbers, in numbers, but sometimes in just depth, spiritual depth. 
last couple things I'm going to mention before I close. At a conference I was at for church planters, in fact, I was really jealous to find out when, 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 when Mark Hartrip and Joel FaceTimed me, and they were in Orlando, Florida, just like a couple weeks ago. And I, it's a conference I've gone to nine times. It's called Exponential. But this is something that I learned from them, a statement, and it really just impacted me. And it's what I just said in a very quick statement. In fact, I would ask you to do this. Take a picture of this or write it in your notes. Good deeds create goodwill that allow you to share the good news. Now, I want us to question our motives, but this is the God we serve. We look at someone like a Joseph in the Old Testament or a Daniel in the Old Testament who served faithfully under ungodly administrations and yet incredible blessing came out of their lives. They're two of my favorite biblical characters. Good deeds, they worked hard. They worked in the marketplace in such a way that it took that their bosses took notice and they got promotions, right? But they were doing it for an audience of one. It brought and created goodwill into their lives. They got promotions. They got other different things. One became the second only to Pharaoh in all of the land of Egypt, the greatest nation on the planet at the time. But then that goodwill allows you to then have relationship and an entry into talking about why. Why do I do these good deeds? And you've got this goodwill toward me, but I want you to tell you why. And you get to share the good news. Again, the, for us, the death or the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, ascension of Jesus, and, and, and so much more. But this is what Jesus is doing in, in the book of Matthew. He's saying, listen, folks, disciples, I'm going to tell you a little bit more. I'm going to teach parables to the crowd. And those who really, really wonder, those who really want to lean in, then they're going to learn more. But it's about the kingdom. And even though it started small, like Jesus himself being planted like a kernel of wheat, or in this particular story, like a mustard seed, it can grow to maturity. And that's for you as individuals. That's for you as families. And then that's for you as a church, as you impact this incredibly godly world. These are the things that we should be about as followers of Jesus before he returns. And here's the commitment God has toward us. I was listening to my YouVersion app this morning on my way here, and I just felt compelled. I didn't plan to do this, but I, I'm just, I'm proud of you as a church, and I'm grateful to be your great-grandfather in some ways. But this is what I read this morning in 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 14. This is the woman of Tekoa speaking into the life of King David. And he's got a son that's done some things that are wrong. And it's amazing how the power of story in David's life changed his attitude about things. But this is what the woman of Tekoa said. And I thought this was an appropriate way to end this morning. She says to David, all of us must die Eventually, our lives are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Boy, isn't that humbling? I thought my life was way more important than that. Wait, it's just like spilling a glass of water and oh, oh, it's gone. The book of James talks about our lives being like a vapor or a mist. But look what she says here at the end to David. But, but God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. I don't know where you're at this morning. 
You may be here and you got invited by somebody and you don't even really want to be here. <laughs> Maybe you're here and you're like, I'm asking questions about Jesus, but I don't really believe him. These people are kind of odd. And maybe you're here and you're like, I'm fully in. I mean, I'm on it. I can't wait to be the part of the next church plant that we do, right, with this whole church planting network of churches. But wherever you're at, I want you to understand the commitment of God is to love you and is to chase after you. And I want you to know wherever you're at in your life, whether you're tired like Iken this morning leading us in worship, whether you're telling us a story about the, you want to step deeper into your walk with the Lord, wherever you're at, the Lord is committed to you, and you are so, so valuable. Do you realize you've been made in God's image? You are an image bearer of God. Now, you're a child of him when you choose to follow him. You're not a child of his until you choose to follow him. But boy, even without following him, you have great value because you've been made in his image. And so what I would leave you with today, contrast, before I pray, is to say, take this role seriously. If you're here and you're committed to Jesus, then take this seriously. The church, the local church, is the bride of Christ. It is God's chosen, I'll say the word instrument for lack of a better word, but it's his chosen way to tell the world about himself because he's committed to have people come back to him. And he devises ways to do that. And one of the ways is through you. Let's pray. You are such a good God, God. We are amazed at times for the ways that you choose to work in our lives. We are broken, dirty, rotten sinners at times whose motives aren't always right. And yet, Lord, as we look at the arc of Scripture, we see you over and over again using broken people to somehow accomplish your sovereign plan. Thanks for choosing us. Thanks for giving us this opportunity. Lord, for me personally, to be here today in this time in my life and all the things that are going on in my own personal life, to know that Contrast Church is committed to the preaching of the gospel, the good news that Three Creeks is committed to the same and movement to the same and Encounter Church and Grace Church before that. God, we want to see your name lifted high. And God, we're going to do that today. We're going to celebrate and remember you through communion and we're going to sing and remember you and love you as the God who you really are. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.